when you can lean into discomfort in some way, that is where a newness springs forth. I think it's really about being really good at being okay with getting uncomfortable. Welcome to Let It Out. I'm Katie. This is my podcast. 400th episode. Wild. It's a lot of conversations, a lot of hours on the internet of my voice asking questions to people I admire. And today, one of those people, Alyssa Benjamin. She's a brand and communications consultant and strategist, and she specializes in creating meaningful experiences, which is how we met actually, and engaging content and telling compelling stories for values-based brands. And I'm reading this from her website right now, and it includes some clients that she's worked with, which we didn't fully get into. So I'll mention a couple of them here. Eileen Fisher, Scribner's Catskills Lodge, Good Move. And if you've been for a while, you know Jules, the founder of Good Move. And Let It Out is listed because, as you'll hear, we, we work together on something. She, most notably, has a project called Our Nature that includes a hiking club and events and a podcast which explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. And I can't think of a better guest than Alyssa to celebrate the 400th episode of this show. We recorded in person, sitting across from each other with snacks between us and my friend Blue, my friend Heidi's dog. How this episode feels is exactly how I want Let It Out to feel every week. Like you're eavesdropping on two friends, maybe two friends that haven't become friends yet, but maybe they will after this conversation or you'll end up becoming their friend or following their work. It exposes you hopefully to new perspectives. Maybe it makes you feel uplifted and maybe learn something. I learned a lot in this conversation we get into something Alyssa calls finding inner stability. And we talked about learning how to tolerate a larger spectrum of emotions. We get into romantic relationships. She tells the story about how she met her partner, David, who I also love. We talk about the importance of celebrating milestones. I have so much to learn, which is why I do this podcast, because it allows me to ask what I'm curious about and learn from so many people. And I'm going to keep bringing them in. I'm going to keep finding experts and putting a microphone in their hands. Everyone is an expert in their own experience and everyone has something to share if you give them a space where they can feel safe and comfortable to let out what they are wanting to say. It's a time capsule of what they have accumulated. Thank you for sticking with me. If you're one of the very rare few now who have been 
with this podcast since 2013 and anywhere else where you came in and found this show. I'm so glad you did and that you've come back however many times you have. Okay, my dear friend Alyssa Benjamin is here and we met in a, a pretty kismet way. We know each other from New York and I'm so happy that we both live here and we see each other somewhat often, I think because, or at least recently we have at parties <laughs> because we have a lot of mutual friends and we've been telling how we met. It feels like several times recently because I think we've just been with people at parties. Um, we're like a couple. We're like a couple. <laughs> yeah. You want to take this one? You want me to? No, I'd love for you to tell it. <laughs> okay. Well, from my remembering, I get a very cool email from a very cool person telling me to go to this event. And I was down. I was like, oh my God, I'm so, I can't believe I'm invited to this. This sounds really cool. But in true me form, just like today, it turns out it was the same me in 2018, 2017, maybe something like that. And I forgot about it, but it was like on my calendar and I, you've heard this 10 billion times, but I happened to be in Soho, right? That's where it was. Mm -hmm. And I like looked up and we were right by it. And I, I think I even maybe emailed you and I was like, can I still come? Can my boyfriend come? And then we just came and had the best time. And I met you. Yes. Yes. You were, you and your boyfriend were the most enthusiastic people at the event, which was amazing because can I, can I elaborate on oh, some please. details? I was, I didn't know if I was allowed to. That's why I was being KG. No, we can elaborate. Okay. Um, so I was working for a, I mean, I, I'll, t I'll just not mention the company maybe, but I was working for a sustainable brand on a series of events for this pop-up that they had in Soho. And I thought you were about to be so much more specific than that. And then I was like, if you said like a few more words, yeah. it would be very clear what it was. So people can I mean, most people will know yeah, if, they, not, if they're it's friends with me. And it's not, yeah. it's not like we're not keeping the details for a reason. But, internet digging. But basically, this was a press event that was... When I was planning, you know, the series of events, I always like to bring a lot of heart to whatever I do. And so I was like, let's not, you know, most press events are like you drop in and pop in and then you leave. Yeah. And I didn't know that because I hadn't done many press events. So I was like, well, let's do like a special workshop where they can make a custom oil blend with natural elements. Like it to me, that was like the ultimate. But then the people that showed up were like trying to pop in. And I was like, no, 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 you can't pop into a workshop. <laughs> and so like most of the guests had just tried to pop in and leave and so it ended up being like a lot of employees <laughs> and yeah. then like you and two <laughs> and you guys appreciated it and I was like this is really cool this is like 10 times cooler than probably every press event that you're going to but anyways so it was a it was an interesting experiment but I was like so happy because you were so into it. I thought it was very cool. Yeah, it was incredible. And, yeah. Well, this was not part of the event, but I think we can say this part. Our mutual friend who you you still work with and collaborate with 
Divi's Kitchen made the food, which was my oh, yeah. favorite restaurant in New York. So I was thrilled. I'm I'm eating snacks. I'm making an aura. I'm feeling cozy. The whole thing was great. And it, you know, it brought us to right now. Because exactly. here we are. So it was a success. It was a success. <laughs> and ultimately, it it really showed me how creative and talented you are as an event producer and a person from the second I met you. And then I think I vaguely, we just kept in touch, I guess. Yeah. And we got a coffee soon after. I remember going to Grounded, which did I tell you Grounded closed? Yeah, or maybe you told yeah. me that. You probably would have told me that, but this coffee shop that I loved that a lot of people who listen to the podcast would go to and I would run into there, which was really special. I met a lot of people through that actually, but... And then the the biggest thing I think is that we worked together for the launch of my magazine that never happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have such a fond memory of that and it's funny because to be honest this is this is good this is like a, when a podcast can be like therapy because I Worked really hard on that site and that project. And you've heard the whole sob story. It was like a really hard time in my life. And I remember talking to you about the launch of the new brand and the magazine. And I was like, do I really need to have a launch party? And you were like, you kind of do. Like, it's kind of the way you, I I forget what you said, like, why is it important to have a launch party? Because I think it's so important to celebrate something that you've worked really hard and give an opportunity to share it with the world in a way that feels like, you know, it, it's like when you're creating something, you're, it is like you're birthing a child or something, you know, you're like pregnant with this thing and then you're really ready to birth that child. What a shame if you didn't show that like child to the world and have people fawn all over it. It's such an important acknowledgement, not only to be validated and, and have that like mirrored back to you from other people, but also to yourself, because I think as like a general society and also as like, women you know mm-hmm. as we identify it's like we it's almost like expected that we just like work hard do something move along it's like no we need to celebrate ourselves more so i just feel like it's an important marker in time um, totally. to do that and yeah remember you gave the example of jewels so yeah. you worked with our mutual friend who's done this podcast twice jewels who owns good move and you also did her launch party and, and a lot more with her. And I remember that had just happened maybe or, or somewhat recently had happened. And, and I remember using that as an example. And I'm really happy that you had that because it was, it was in my mind as like, okay, because of what happened with the magazine, I had a lot of shame about like, we, I, I, I felt kind of shamed about it even in it because it was mm-hmm. this like thing for me where I was like, you know, I kept making the joke that it was my work wedding. I had an interesting experience this weekend related to that party, which I have to tell you, I had so many people collaborate within mm-hmm. it and I'm really happy that we did it. And so, so this weekend, my really good friend, Kayleen Schaefer, she was in town. She still lives in New York. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen it, you know, in years, which was true. And then we were trying to like parse out where it was. And I was like, oh yeah, our last, like, I remember our last like dinner or whatever. And she's like, no, 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 no. It was, 
your rooftop party. It was your work wedding. And I was like, oh shit. Like I forgot. I was like, of course Kayleen was there. And as soon as she said that, I remember, I remember talking to her. I remember what she was wearing. I remember the whole thing. And it made me so happy that this person, this like friend of mine, this mentor of mine was there at that thing mm-hmm. that I did. And I made, and I, I couldn't even place it in time now. And so I, I just remember you walking around in overalls and a brown beret and just like, <laughs> you know, you were amazing. And it was, it's something that I'll never forget. And I, I often say that about this podcast, like the ones that I do over Zoom, which even before the pandemic, I would do from time to time. I don't remember as well as Same. the ones that are in person. And I think there's something about yeah, I mean, we've we'll, we, we're going to do an event. Is yeah, really we're, we're going to collaborate <laughs> on an event, and if you come, we will tell you the brand. We will tell you this is that yeah, will yeah, be your yeah, gift. That's, that's great. I like that. Well, but something I just want to say, you know, to to kind of like put an end cap to that too is like, as a fellow podcast host, mm-hmm. it is such an interesting and almost like very specific experience to run a podcast. I guess it's similar to maybe writing a blog or doing something that like you put something out there, people receive it, but it's not necessarily like a direct exchange or as immediate maybe as like you put a social media post out or you have a YouTube video and people immediately comment or something like that. So to me, it was a representation of like, not only just your hard work with the magazine, but like the years of work you did on this podcast. And it's so nice when you really can connect with people in person. I mean, I remember there were so many fans of yours there. And that's really important because it's like you have impacted them. Mm. And it was a big deal for them to be able to connect with you in person. And it's something they'll remember. So that is really important too. I just want to say that. Yeah. Like, I feel like I want to cry actually because I forgot about that part too. And, and also now that we're talking about this, I'm really happy that it happened in New York. Like I didn't know I was going to be leaving New York. Well, then you left like two days later. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. The next (laughs) day I flew to Europe. (laughs) I mean, this, this is a personal problem that I have. And today was like a runaway bride situation for your Not not only did I have a work wedding, but then I broke up with my work literally <laughs> the next day. I moved out of my apartment in the East Village and flew to Paris <laughs> the day after we threw that Damn. party, which was a horrifically stressful <laughs> scenario. I do not recommend to anybody. And I'd been in that apartment for years, so it was just like a lot of moving. We won't make this whole time about this, but essentially what you said about it being a celebration of like, essentially I was getting a new branding for let it out. The reason I was doing all that was because I wanted to make an online magazine. And this was the time of like Lenny and rookie. And I wanted to do something to that sort of scale. And then at that time, similarly, all of those started closing and didn't have funding and I didn't know how to fund it. And I just got in over my head and I couldn't do it. And when I went to Europe, I really started to see that. And I realized like, okay, this is, this is a podcast and it's just a podcast and I've got to figure out what's next. And that's when I made the kits. I tried a bunch of different things. I'm still figuring out what to try. And a big thing I wanted to do was events. And then it was a 
pandemic and then I moved to LA, you know, so, and we're going to do events and we're going to do other things and, and who knows what's next. That's when we started to make the little zines and, and we'll see where we go from here. But what you said about it was still, none of that would have happened. There wouldn't have been a new brand to be had if I hadn't been doing this, you know, now it's nine years back then it was whatever, less than nine, <laughs> seven, six, seven, something seven like that. Or six. Yeah. It was a bunch still. So thank you very, thank you for saying that. Your work fascinates me outside of events and outside of your podcast, Our Nature, which is incredible. And I want to talk all about, I want to get into a little bit about your creative work, because I feel like every time we talk about it, I'm just like, wait, because you are so smart and creative. And, you know, again, you have this beautiful podcast called Our Nature and a studio called Our Nature, which I want to talk about. When I met you, those things didn't exist, actually. Can you talk to me about your work back then? And I think you still do some of this now of consulting with brands and with individuals like Jules and myself, mm -hmm. how do you explain it? You know, I, I wrote down here creative strategy, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if that's the words that's partly, that you... Yeah, that's partly what it is. It's funny that it's like, you're like, what do you do? Because I, <laughs> I feel like that used to make me uncomfortable to be like, what do I do? I feel like I do all these things and my resume is like 10 different things, but I sort of made peace with that. And I kind of am like, you know what? I do all these different things and the driving force and like the common thread behind it is storytelling and empathy and connecting with other people, whether I create like an event or a brand or a podcast, it's like, it all is driven by a similar cohesive energy. So that's how I've made sense of it in my head. But um, in terms of the, the brand and creative strategy, so what I did for Jules, um, her brand is called Good Move. If, if you've been listening to to Katie's podcast, you might know it. You probably do. Um, if you missed it, go back. She, yeah, Jules is also has been on my podcast as well. Lots of um, opportunities to hear. Yes, Jules. you can hear her a bunch of times. But um, we hope you do. Yeah, but it's really about with the brand strategy. It's really about helping someone articulate the what makes their company or brand like better, special and different so that it can reach the audience that is meant to reach. It's basically give, giving someone, I like help people create like clarity for their brand and a point of view and an authenticity in their own expression. Like with Jules, I remember um, she was actually my first ever client. If oh, you, yeah. yes. And I remember you telling me that. Which yeah. Is so cool. Yeah. And at the time I was pivoting my career, so I don't have a background necessarily in strategy. Um, what I, were you doing at that time? I was working at Eileen Fisher, oh, the clothing right. brand, and I was doing internal communications, which basically means like I was working with employees, employee communications, making sure that they felt informed and connected to the brand. That sounds like a cool um, job. It's awesome. It's very people oriented. It's very like, it's basically you 
it's kind of exactly like you do with marketing, except you're marketing to your own employees. So much And you're better. just, yeah, which is like more heartfelt and like you're not trying to manipulate them. You're just gotta, trying to like support them. I, I got to get into that. Rather, <laughs> You'd be great at that. Yeah, it's better than the thing I'm doing for money right now. So, okay, go on. But I was doing, so I was working at Eileen Fisher. I resigned from that company. Um, kind of had a real like period of, 20 months where I couldn't get work. It was like a very dark period in my life. I, you know, we don't need to get into that. Maybe we should, but whatever. I went through that period of time. This I, is before I met you. Like yeah. Years. Yeah. And I was like, I need to pivot my brand. Um, or not pivot my brand, pivot myself. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to like pivot. Pivot period. Pivot. I just need to pivot. I don't think I want to do employee communications anymore. I think I'd be a really good strategist because I'm fascinated by human behavior. Um, and I always lead with empathy. And so I didn't really know how to get into that, but it just so happened like in a very kismet way, I had been attending Jules's classes as a student on um, dance classes. And she was like, I have an idea for this studio that I want to open, but like, I don't know how to do it. And I was like, well, let me help you. And so we bartered. I helped her create her brand. She gave me one-on-one Pilates. And yeah, I, I kind of just, I don't know how I figured it out <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. I think I like read one book about brand strategy and was just like, would you know the book? No, <laughs> I ordered it and, you know, it was like a hundred pages. Brand strategy. Yeah. <laughs> brands. Yeah. Basically, I basically did that. And then I just, used Google. I'm just like a That's kind of a, everyone's yeah, doing I'm a resourceful person. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's resourceful. I knew I Not was everyone's good. Resourceful. You are very smart. And yeah. You okay. can do it. <laughs> Thank That's you. what I mean. I just mean everyone who starts has to figure yes. it out some way. Yeah. You can either do it that way or you can pay someone a bunch of money to teach you, but it's cool that you did it this way. I was really eager to shift something because I realized I was like on a path that I wasn't interested in anymore. So anyways, long story short, that's like kind of how I started. I don't even know if that answered your it question. Does. It's hard. I would say if you're pivoting in any form in your life, I think one of the things that I have really sat with is like, there are no rules in the sense of if I had decided to pivot my career and been like, okay, you know, there are all these rules about how to do this. Now I'm going to have to start at the bottom and work my way up, you know, over many years, even though I have 10 years experience, but it's in a different, if I had just like let all these kind of like limitations box me in, I think it would have been really hard for me to find the energy to go for something that scared me. So I guess I would just say like, there's an invitation to kind of like take a risk. And like my risk was saying, I will do this essentially for free. I mean, we bartered, but like <laughs> I will do this for Pilates lessons, not knowing where it's going to take me, but just because I'm excited by this and I have the energy. Yeah. And so I did. And guess what? That then was the project that I used to present to an agency who was like, okay, you can do brand strategy. And I was like, okay. And I, I'm not going to name this agency, but I remember 
Um, and I wonder if they'll listen to this. I kind of hope they don't hear it. But I remember going in on the first day to that agency and Googling what's in a brand strategy deck, like at the agency in the corner, because I was like, I literally don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just like going for it. And it, you kind of just have Take to it be, make it. yeah. And that's essentially what I did. So I feel like it, it's, I say there are no rules because I say that like, I could have never fathomed that that project with Jules would have led to the agency project. The agency project led me to a job at Google. Come on. That's like, you can't even make that up. That's insane. I had done only, you know, like a few projects by the time I got there. So it's sort of like. And that got you to LA. Yeah. And it's it's just like, don't, we never know what the, where these things will lead us. So I guess, aside from saying like, there are no rules, meaning like, you never know, you know, don't get freaked out like, oh, I, you know, it's going to be like this. Just, just, I think it's about like, follow your joy and follow what you like feel excited about because life surprises you. I mean, over yeah. and over. There's something to be said for hard work and grit, which you definitely have. And then there's a level of confidence, I think, that comes with what you did there, which is really cool. And you worked for that as well. And what I really admire about you, Alyssa, is your ability to, to to figure it out and to like merge the confidence and the skills that you have and know that you will figure it out. Because I think it's just something I really admire in you. And I think also in terms of I, I've been thinking about, you know, that Vonnegut quote where he's like, you are what you pretend to be. So be careful what you pretend to be. No, but that's a cool quote. <laughs> it's like, it was my, fi I think it was like, you know, have to pick a quote when you're like a senior in high yeah. school. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was that. That's amazing. I can tell you mine. Oh, mine was I'll have muffins or it may not be my birthday, but I'll have muffins anytime. And it was from my best friend. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it's quite profound if you just like spend a minute and think Ooh, about it. But wow, that's really hitting me. Talk about inspiration. Not muffins, biscuits. It's oh, just that it's idea of like celebrate yourself. Like you, you know what I mean. Like yeah, you don't no, need I it to it. be a, it's your birthday it is to profound. celebrate you. So I, but I really enjoy <laughs> anyways, that. Keep going at your thread. One note: <laughs> I liked muffins more. Yeah. Okay, muffins. Just hits revisionist me history. <laughs> keep going. Hits me harder. But I was thinking about that today in my morning pages. Today I write about that Vonnegut quote. And I hadn't thought about it in years, but I used to, like, I know it's in my book somewhere. It's something that I used to like say it too much, you know? And I hadn't thought about it recently, but I've been, I have a couple routines, bad habits, if you will, that I'm trying to really change. And I wrote that down as like, just pretend to mm -hmm. be a person who does that. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies whether it's, you know, one of these bad habits is going to bed astronomically late. That is something that I want to change. I can pretend to be someone who goes to bed at a decent hour, et cetera. And you can also do it in work and in relationships and in anything. I think the more you pretend to do it, it's like, oh shit, well now you actually are. You just yeah. don't feel like it's real until it becomes more consistent. Because here's the thing that, and and thank you for those kind words. I mean, I, I do need to say that like, I was very, I was feeling the fear the entire time and I was yeah. freaked out. But I think at that time I was backed into a corner, meaning like, 
there was no other options for me because I was really lost. And so looking back, it really seems kind of like this glorious journey. And it was, there was like a lot of beauty in like the messiness of it and like a lot of grace in that. But it wasn't, you know, I just want to like bring the reality of like, it was messy and I was backed into a corner, meaning like I couldn't get work. And I think it was the universe's way of being like, you better get clear about what you want, how you identify, letting go. It was a big ego death for me because I had so attached my identity, talk about pretending, to like being successful and like making this amount of money and being like this or this. And when I resigned from my job at Eileen Fisher, which I had for about eight years, I mean, it was like a family. It was like a big divorce. Like I cried for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. It was insane. Um, But... I I actually couldn't get work. Like I would tell friends, I'd be like, hey, need a job. Like, do you, if you hear of anything, I would apply nothing, like nothing. And after, I mean, 20 months is a long time to not have work. And I blew through my savings. I started borrowing money from my parents and I felt so worthless. This was like in my third, like I, I just, I think late 20s, about to be 30. And I watched my friends, like their careers were taking off. And I was like, I was just, I couldn't, I was worried about paying rent. Yeah. And I think I felt so worthless. And then I really did some like deep soul searching. And I was like, I just kind of hit such a low that I was like, do I actually believe that like, I don't matter because I can't, like I'm not wealthy or like I don't have this amazing job. I'm just like here. Mm. It was like a real like moment for me. And I sat with that and I was like, I got to the point where, yeah, I, I was backed into my corner and I was like, no, I do matter. I'm a kind person. I care about people. I, you know, I don't have anything to offer except like just being the best version of me that I can be. And maybe that's enough. And then boom, things started coming in. So it was like this interesting, like undoing, but to, to circle back to like that idea of like pretending because I was like, I kind of let go of my identity. It became easier to form another one, but one that I wasn't attached to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like, I was like, Cause I don't, my identity was not about my work anymore. Cause I was like, oh, I'm just like a person in this body trying to be kind and loving to people. So of course I can be a strategist. Like it became easier to kind of pretend that I was these things because I wasn't so attached to that identity anymore. And so I started going around and basically just telling people I'm a strategist, even though I like didn't really know that much about strategy which identity did you detach from detach from like my identity of like attaching my identity to my work and my job and like my accomplishments right 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 so my identity was now just like i'm a person i'm existing so it became easier than to assume all these things because it it wasn't like i wasn't like overly attached to that like even today like i'm not overly attached to being like 
a strategist in the sense of like making it mean something about me than that it maybe doesn't. So it was like, it's an interesting thing with pretending. It's like maybe once you can let go of it, that's when it's easier to pretend that it's there. I don't know. I mean, I think non-attachment is everything. Yeah. I think non-attachment, I've seen, I mean, the, uh, the <laughs> swiftness of the, the, when I can detach from my identity being related to a relationship or needing the approval right. of someone. The, the second I do that, I get it. Yep. Yep. That's how <laughs> it works. Second it's a little bitch I, of the universe. Yeah. Now. The second I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really matter if you text me back or not. The text comes. Or the second I, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop doing the podcast and I'm going to do something else. I just fall in love with the podcast, you know? So, and who knows? Maybe I'll, I will at some point stop this, but whatever it is, that's just an example. I think we're constantly reiterating what we want and, and who we are, whether we're pivoting or not. And I actually relate a lot to what you're talking about. And I feel like I'm in a kind of similar mm -hmm. spot right now. I'm so happy that that happened for you. And I'm so happy that you with that, like speaking of creative strategy, you work at this agency, you work at Google, and now you have so much under your belt. What would you advise an individual like someone like Jules right now who has something that they want to make or bring to the world or wants to edit something to feel more correct for them? Do you have any overarching strategic creative tips? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I, I think it's, I mean, I have my own business, so I feel like I, you know, it's a lot harder to do this for yourself mm -hmm. because you have your, all your own weird <laughs> stuff, shadow stuff that you have to totally. work through. But I think, you know, I, something that I feel really um, proud of is at the end of the day, like, I really like to work with like heart-centered founders. Like, I mean, I believe everyone who f found something at some point was heart-centered. I don't, you know, I don't know, may maybe not. Um, like I'm thinking about certain founders, <laughs> Amazon um, and other, you know, I don't know. But, but I do believe that like people are inherently good and they're good-hearted and, you know, whatever. Um, but I think one of the the biggest things to consider is really developing a practice of like connecting with your intuitive self. Um, and I say that because I do believe that is where like creation comes from. It comes from like our inner child. It comes from our intuition. It comes from what I call like our inner nature. Um, and to me, that's the, the most strategic of all because it's authentic to you, if that makes sense. And I do believe at the end of the day, like no strategy will be, no marketing strategy will, you know, take, be, be better than something that comes from like your authenticity and your, um, intuition. Yeah. And your intuition. And basically, you know, what I did for Jules, she said this and it's true. I didn't, I didn't really do like, 
she she did it. It was all in her head. What I did was just like provide containers for all of like that intuitive knowing and that that sense of what she wanted to birth to come out. You know, and maybe I was like a doula. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the mother is like birth is births a child. The doula just like helps you know the mother and the child like come out. Let it Let out. Let it out. Yeah. I know we are aligned on this. We are meant to connect. We are meant to collaborate. And that I think makes the best art. I think it makes the best companies. I think it makes the best strategies. And what you said about doing it for yourself, I have trouble with my own strategy and let it out vision and what I want to do. However, I do similar to you. Like I do similar work with people where I do consulting and have that bit of distance. And the bit of distance is the piece that's challenging when it's your own thing. And that's why I think we're meant to collaborate and, and barter and help each other. And I remember hearing, I knew you well when Jules told me this, but I didn't know Jules well. And she talks about this in the first episode of her on, on this show. And she talks about a specific process that you took her through when you were coming up with a concept and the brand. And I think it was actually naming good move. Okay. And I remember this story really well, which was you and her. And I think another person went to a museum and after that, you led them through this exercise with note cards, I think, where you passed around different words. And eventually you landed on the name Good Move, which is an incredible name. And I loved hearing that. And I really loved that you went to the museum first and got inspired together in that way. It kind of felt like a Julia Cameron artist way date, mm -hmm. but together, which is, I guess, not the, the point of the artist way dates, but it created this creative container, like you said, and momentum that you could cruise into this activity with in a sort of playful way. And I'd love if you could talk about that. Yeah. I just, with that, I feel like something that I like to do with everything that I do, and maybe this is just innately how I am, is like bringing fun and play to yeah. an experience I think when you're creating a brand, it's so personal, it's so vulnerable because it's coming from like deep within you that it's so nice to be able to like bring a little bit of fun and like, it, it's like, okay, we could have done that meeting at like, you know, a person's house or at a coffee shop, but like, why not make it fun? Let's go to the rooftop. Let's have, you know, a lemonade at the Whitney and let's just like be together and maybe this will like feel inspiring and help us get a new perspective. Like it's really as simple and as complex as that. And I feel like that's what I mean by like <laughs> this dual, you know, this dual sort of metaphor, but like this idea of like, it's these little things and these little, you know, sort of moments that really do, matter when someone's in a really vulnerable place of like going through that process of you know articulating and clarifying their brand and that's just how I like to guide things and I think ultimately 
you're wanting to direct people to make something that feels like the inside of their brain, that mm -hmm. feels authentic to them. And so to catch people at their best and to get people to be at their best is very wise as a strategic choice because I think the, the problem becomes when someone gets so far from something that they don't even know what it is or they try to do so much. Mm -hmm. And it's about honing in on the intersection of who someone is and what they want to do and finding that through line. Like you've found it with your own strategy with empathy, mm -hmm. right? And, and finding that for other people. And that is so important. It's so much more than just semantics, but, but it also at the same time, like you said, needs to have a level of ease to it needs to have a level of, this is not so serious. We're, we're making things mm -hmm. for people here. Like, and it should be you know? joyful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's what makes, made me so proud about that experience. It's like, it was fun. And we, she, she had a name that she couldn't use and was devastated by yes, that. Yes, she talks about that. And so it's like, let's make this fun. You can, yeah. I told her, I was like, this is, this was meant to happen and you can find a better name. And just quickly, I'll say the same thing happened to me with my name. Our nature? Yeah. So it was originally all's well. And I was like, so set on that for years. Okay. Finally got the courage to put it out there. I looked up the trademark and Bloomberg. It was a Bloomberg podcast trademark. I don't think they ever put it out, but they got the trademark. And I was like, I'm done. And I was devastated. Well, guess what? I did that little naming exercise for myself, made my boyfriend get involved, and we came up with our nature. And I'm like, so that was good. so much it's better. better. It's always better. That's That happens. And I think that... It, it's kind of like what we said, like whenever something that we think is the worst thing in the world, if you can Phoenix rising from the ashes it a little bit and so, somebody says this fail fast. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard about that? Yep. Like if you can do that quickly, the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can pivot into whatever the next thing is. And sometimes you can't pivot quickly. Sometimes there's a real bottom that you have to linger in for a while. And I think that's fine too. But the bigger sample size we get, because the older we get, we know we can not only get through it, but it creates something positive. You want to get up and going quicker. And it's mm -hmm. easier said than done. But yeah, the constraint is what breeds creativity. Yeah, that's a fact. Like so it's like <laughs> appreciate those constraints, even though yes. they feel really horrible in the moment, because you'll look back and be like, wow, thank God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next here on the show, after these messages, <laughs> we will be talking about our nature. Thank Amazing. you so much for being here and uh, back to you in the studio. <laughs> This week's episode is brought to you by a family-owned and operated certified organic 
company called My Green Mattress. It is made by the nicest person ever. I interviewed him on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He's a father of five and he is the founder of My Green Mattress. And it all started because he needed to create a hypoallergenic crib mattress for his infant daughter because she was having allergies and eczema. So he made the Emily Organic Crib Mattress and then that sparked an entire complete line of all natural, safe, healthy, affordable mattresses for adults and children. Each mattress is handmade in a certified organic factory located in the Midwest where he is and it's shipped across the country. You can get a virtual tour of the factory or you can listen to me have a conversation with Tim Masters, the founder, because he truly is probably one of the nicest people I've ever met and so passionate about making mattresses and helping people to sleep well and feel supported in their beds. My Green Mattress received an esteemed organic certification from the trade union in 2019. They have this natural skate mattress, which is their most luxurious handcrafted version. That's the one that I have actually. And I love it so much. I've been sleeping so well. It's perfect for adults and couples, and it suits a wide range of body types and sleeping positions. I also just got the My Green Platform bed, which is made from untreated, sustainable American wood, free from stains and adhesive and toxic chemicals really easy to assemble at home quick and easy I have it I love it and you know you really have nothing to lose because my green mattress offers a 120 night sleep trial a 20-year warranty on all of their products and they're made to order and shipped free across the country in about two weeks so just visit mygreenmattress.com to purchase an affordable and certified organic mattress for your healthy night's sleep use code let it out at the checkout and receive 120 dollars off a twin or larger and 20 dollars off the emily organic crib thank you my green mattress This was the first podcast, Alyssa, congratulations, and quite fitting for you actually, that we have stopped recording, gone on a walk together, and resumed recording. <laughs> and we did uh, have a private podcast uh, during the entirety of the walk as well. <laughs> um, okay, so we were talking about your work as a strategist and creatively around that and how you got into it. But in the midst of that, you also, as you mentioned, created your own business with our nature, which you mentioned. How did you come up with the concept for it? And it started exclusively at a, as a podcast. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So our nature came during my dark night of the soul rock bottomy 20 month you know existential crisis period as many creative projects do i was getting these like very kind of bizarre intuitive hits to start a podcast but i was very afraid of that and also it was like it kind of came out of left field because i wasn't consciously like i want to start a podcast <laughs> But what would happen is I would leave a voicemail on a friend's phone and 
they'd message me back and be like, you have a great podcast voice. And I'd be like, okay. But it started happening like kind of frequently. And then on top of that, I was having people come to me, like at the time, a couple friends and I were like, should we start a podcast? Like it was just, it was podcast, 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 podcast again and I again. I remember you. And I kept ignoring it because I was terrified. And I was like, I don't know what it's even going to be about. Like, this is so weird. But the messages kept coming. And finally, I was like, okay, universe, surrender. I'll do this. And I originally was going to do like a sexuality podcast Mm. um, about just like being kind of embodied in like your sensuality and your sexuality, which is something that, you know, I have direct experience like feeling comfortable in. But I was also like, it just didn't intuitively feel like I should be the voice of that. Like, I was like, this is not an expertise I have. It just didn't really feel like the thing. And so then I was like, okay, it's not going to be that. What should it be? And then I kid you not, one day I woke up and I, this has not happened since. I don't know if it will ever happen again to me, but I got this like direct download. And it was like, I remember writing, you know, I'm creating this podcast which explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater harmony and alignment with the natural world. And I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) I'm doing this. It was just like so clear to me, those exact words, and those are the words that I still have to describe my podcast. Um, And then I was like, well, who's going to be a guest, universe? And then I looked around and realized that around me, I had like 10 friends who were going to be amazing guests for the show. So it was kind of one of those like incredible moments of synchronicity and just like intuitive knowing and, you know, a dialogue with the universe. And it just started from there. And I was terrified, by the way, (laughs) of the whole thing. Yeah. And it's really expanded. What's, What's your favorite part of it so far? What has it taught you? I mean, everything. It's changed my entire life. It really has. I think it's brought me on the path that I'm meant to be on. I love strategy. I love brand and creative strategy. And I think that's maybe a part of my path. But at the end of the day, I believe my like path path or why I was put on this earth at this point is to guide people back to the natural world to be in relationship with the natural world so that they can be in relationship with themselves. And that has become very clear to me in doing this podcast. And it's just like so rewarding. I'm sure you know this feeling when someone messages you that it's been like their companion or it's really helped them or they've learned a lot or they feel inspired or it's opened their eyes to something. I mean, what a privilege to do that and especially in a world where like we have so much content competing for our attention and someone actually is taking the time to listen to you it's so powerful and it's so rewarding so yeah that's a lot of that something really wonderful do you did you anticipate that it would grow into all these other avenues because you also have a hiking club and you also have been doing retreats and Mm -hmm. talk about some of the other things with our nature studio. Yeah. 
I, no, I did not anticipate. That's the short answer. Like, no idea. And that's why, you know, when you asked at the beginning about, like, what advice would you give someone who has an idea and wants to be strategic and it's kind of like, follow your intuition, follow your joy. It's like, that's, that's exactly what I did. I started the podcast literally with no goals. I was just like, maybe, you know, I mean, maybe a few of my friends will listen to this and I'll feel excited that I put some time in and someone is listening. Yeah. But like, I had no idea what it would become. And that's so scary when we live in a world of like, what are, you know, what are you going to grow it into? And what do you, you know, what's the return on investment? And as you know, like podcasts are really hard to monetize. It's not the smartest strategic business decision, Mm -hmm. but I did it because that was following my joy. And what came from that was just like, And again, another intuitive unfolding that, you know, I, for example, on the podcast, we have all these really inspiring conversations about connecting with the natural world. But the ultimate goal for me and my show is not to just like have people have an intellectual understanding of what that means is to have a felt experience. And so that looks like actually getting people out into nature to have them build that relationship with the earth, um, and with themselves. And so that's then where naturally the course came from and the retreats. And then the hiking club is like a community offering. So all these things just kind of unfolded as I unfolded, which is really exciting. And that, and that's you being connected to yourself and listening and following the next right action, as we say. With that, you know, you you moved during this and I think it really expanded when you moved to LA and you like me moved from New York to LA during the pandemic and having lived in both places. I'm curious about that move. You know, had you spent a lot of time here? Had you spent a lot of time? Did you always want to move to New York? Did you always want to be there? And did you ever see yourself here? And how did that affect all of, all of the rest? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I always wanted to live in New York. I mean, I remember in high school, if any of my high school friends listen to this, maybe they'll remember, but like... I, where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York. And even when I was in high school growing up there, I don't, I feel like I didn't actively mention going to New York, but people would be like, so Alyssa, when are you moving to New York? Like in high school. And I'd be like, I don't know, you know, but it was like, I definitely was that kid who always felt like I didn't belong to the place where I was. When I grew up there, I was kind of like one foot out the door in a way, which is interesting because I feel like now I'm kind of like returning back to the countryside. I grew up mm-hmm. in like a, the countryside and and just like a more rural space. I always wanted to go to New York and for about seven years, I was like genuinely happy there. I remember when I first, the first few years I moved there, I was so happy that I would... <laughs> This is kind of embarrassing, but I'm owning it. I would like sing. It makes you feel, yeah, it makes you feel like you feel so proud to be a New Yorker. Like, I feel like New Yorkers are really proud because it's a hard city to live in. So you feel like you've survived. You've like, you've got something magical that you live there. And I genuinely loved it. And I also had the luxury of, um, Every 
So I was there for almost 10 years and I never commuted via the subway. But that I feel like is so rare. And I think that allowed me to really love the city because I would just walk every day to and from work, walk everywhere. I lived in Manhattan and I think I just house. She somehow lived in a house in Manhattan. (laughs) My little country house, I called it. Oh my God. In the middle of the city on 17th Street, right? On 24th. 24th In Chelsea, yeah. Oh my God. It was such a great place. It's It's also a city that's like a young city. I feel like it's great when you're young. Because all of the things that you, I think, young people naturally are more inclined to do is there. Like, it's a city that loves for you to stay out late. It's a city that always has something going on. So, if you're young and you have a lot of energy, it's there. But, like, for me, to, to answer your question about moving here and, like, I think, you know, maybe my trajectory is, like, more and more rural, like, kind of going that way. But... For me, I just got to the point where all the things that felt nourishing to me were things that would be far easier not in a city like New York. Like, I like to go to bed early now. I like to be in nature and be, you know, kind of have like deep experiences on a frequent basis. And it's harder to do there. It's not impossible. I mean, I I don't think it's impossible at all. Um, In fact, you know, I talk a lot in my business and and on my podcast about how like nature connection doesn't need to mean you have to be in the mountains or, you know, in really remote places. But I will say now that I'm in LA and I'm in this like lush nature filled Canyon, it's a lot easier for me to drop into like that space of more like calm and and quiet and groundedness because where we are is a lot, you know, more grounded energetically than it was when I was in New York with just like the energy of the city, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so fun to visit, but and just at a different place in my life. Yeah, it's it's different. My my friend Caroline would always say about New York exactly to your point. She said, I think her professor on her first day of college in New York said, New York is like a circuit. At any time you can plug into anything, be anywhere, mm-hmm. or you can be by yourself in your apartment. And I think there's truth to that about anywhere, really, that we can there are cool cultural things going on everywhere. If you take the time to find them, they're just right there in New York. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway, I, I'm really happy that we both ended up here <laughs> selfishly. And it sounds like it's it's suiting you well. Do you feel like it's made an impact on you creatively? Yeah. I mean, where I find creative juice is in the natural world. Um because it's where I am in a state of most frequent awe and wonder. Um, And for me, where we live is in a canyon. And I have this practice I like to do called a sit spot practice, where you basically have your little place that you sit in in nature. And um, mine is my deck. 
And even just sitting on my deck to, and looking around and noticing like the magic and the mystery of the hummingbirds and them playing with each other and their behavior. And if you get still enough, how close they'll come to you and all of these things, I think it really gets me like creatively inspired all the time. I think I'm still integrating into the community here, like the the human community. And that I also get inspiration from people and and ideas and, and things like that. But um, it's definitely focused on the natural world at this point. Yeah, I think you said this, you have a, a brilliant episode. I was going to ask you this, but you kind of just covered it. Like if you saw a connection between creativity and nature, and you, you obviously do, and you do a, a whole episode on this, which I really loved. So we, you covered that, but there's something in that that I wrote down, which I think kind of relates to what we talked about on our um, the non-recorded portion of this on our walk, which you said this, you said, growth is in the places you're scared to go. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. When you can lean into discomfort in some way, that is where a newness springs forth. I think it's really about being really good at being okay with getting uncomfortable. Mm. And I think the way you get really good at being okay with getting uncomfortable is to develop what I call an inner stability. And so, and I, and I talk about this in my course, this is kind of like what we work on. And I think this is like what, you know, the ultimate goal is for all of our lives. I mean, it's a lifelong practice. I'm not totally there, but I'm working on it. And it's to really have a, have a place to come home to within yourself so that when things happen that, that push you to your edge, you can work with those things because there's like that almost um, like that pillar inside of you that you can come back to. And I think that's like the dance of life, really. I love that, Alyssa. And your work is so important. And you're so great at articulating things that I've felt in some way, but haven't and, and know are true. But you have such a gift for letting them out, whether it's, again, going back to your through line, whether it's through people through businesses and brands like you did with Jules and, and you've done on really humongous scales since and individually through the work you do with your course and, and retreats and on the, on the show. And I think it, it's kind of inner empathy. It's like empathy to yourself. And, and you said that that was the through line. And so I think that that carries through here. And, and I love that about inner stability because that's a thing, right? Like, we're the only one going through it all the way to the end with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think finding inner stability is through being comfortable tolerating a bigger spectrum of emotions. Because mm -hmm. when I'm not wanting to spend time alone, when I'm avoiding spending time alone, I'm avoiding feeling because we don't want to feel feelings we don't want to feel. We want to distract whatever. And in New York, I became very skilled at distraction and distracting my distracting myself is sure I'll go to that thing and yeah, I'll be there of course and, and it's very easy to do there and I did it all over the world traveling and then 
the pandemic is a real good way to knock yourself out of that. And LA makes it a lot harder, more challenging to do that. And my life just got accidentally much more simple and finding inner stability is spending time alone. And I was forced to, I went like kicking and screaming, but it was the best thing for me. And I'm so curious. I want to take your course and, and, and work on it more. But some of the things that I've started to do are like routines are really mm -hmm. good. Like having these anchors, these, mm -hmm. and for inner stability, having something anchor you makes you more stable. And I just, I think it's incredibly important, the work that you're doing. And I think nature is something that automatically forces us into that in a way where it helps you to be present, mm -hmm. I think, and it, and it helps you to connect. And I think connection can't happen unless you're present. And the more time I spend alone, I'm able to not have to go to everybody else to make sure I'm okay, because I'm innerly stable. And I just, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you've made it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, uh, this is a work in progress for me too. Like I, you know, I always say like, I do the practices that I share because I'm on this journey as well. And, and, you know, when I started my podcast, I said like, I'm not coming in as the expert, I'm coming in as the student. And I do believe like having that like forever student mindset I call it the beginner's mind too, is like also part of the practice is like not assuming that you have it all figured out and that you know something because it's like, yeah. you know, we're all that. But I, I think there's a big thing around like we are taught that if we get these external things, they're going to provide the stability, get married that's relationship stability. Get a full-time job. That's like income and identity stability. Mm -hmm. But it's all an illusion because, and that's, but that's when it becomes an illusion for people, but they think it's stable. That's when it shocks them. And people have really hard times because they've thought like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean my marriage is ending? What do you mean I just lost my job? The, like what that can't happen it's supposed to be the thing and I think what I always say to people is like we can't control what happens externally to us like as horrible as this sounds like I love my partner but god forbid he gets in like a horrible accident yeah. I it's like it could happen at any moment so if you can't you know, if, if stability around you externally is not guaranteed, what are you going to develop inside that will allow you to like move with the ebbs and flows of life that inevitably will be present? It's like that. I think Tara Brock talks about this of like, you know, be the ocean so that like, you know, or I'm going to butcher what she says, but like something about like letting the waves be present and, but you're the ocean. And it's like, I think, you know, something that I really think about is like, how can I, yeah, like be, I think being water is like such a good, you know, I'm a really visual. So I often think about that. Like, how can I be water and just like, as things happen, just be in flow with it. And it doesn't mean just be tossed around, but like, like you said, like feel the feelings, have tools to return back to like a sense of, 
of belonging and home. And I really think that nature provides such a mirror for that because I don't know how many times I do this. I do this all the time, like every day for real. When I'm having a really hard time with something, because I do all the time, I'll look outside and be like, wow, the birds are chirping. The the wind is blowing in the tree. Things are okay. Mm. Like things are okay. Nature's there. It's You know, like, and I think it's about returning to presence, which is exactly what you said. I mean, that's one of the ways to have an inner stability is is presence. I mean, that's probably the main way. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's, there's a surfing analogy in there somewhere with what you're saying about water. Yeah. Ride that wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what it it does is it right-sizes you. It takes you out of our own like self, 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 self. And you are like, oh, I'm part of something bigger here. And also, you know, I think that the tides is such a great analogy for this of change. Like you have a bigger sample size of when things are hard, eventually they'll get better again and again and again, just like the tide moves. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of beautiful analogies like that in nature that we could talk about for another hour. But One that I'll bring up is something that you had us do this really beautiful practice for Earth Day a couple years ago where you emailed a bunch of your friends and I was one of them. And you, I think you asked us how we connect with nature, what nature. Yeah, how has nature supported you over the past year? Yeah. And I remember what I said to that because I remember at first like getting that question and being like, damn, I even connected to nature. Like I felt so I didn't have anything for that. And then I, I thought about it and I remember what I said and I actually really like it because it feels more true than ever. And I, I sent you a voice text about this this week. Nature to me is people like we, you and me are just as much nature as the hummingbird that you see. I don't have a lot of anchors really. Right. Like, and I, now I have an apartment, so I don't own it, right? But, like, I don't have a lot of the things that people at my age have that are anchors of, like, a, a partner, live close to my family, or I'm untethered. But everything in my life has been through relationships. Like, when you came over, I was working in, on this freelancing, and you're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I met somebody at a party. And you're like, of course you did. Like, that's how everything everything is relational. And I think when you can step out of yourself, it's like that in Sung Suchi quote that's like, when you're feeling helpless, help someone. Nothing gets me out of my own shit, like listening to my friend's shit, mm-hmm. right? Or like when I was at my most sad, I happened to be in New York and exactly what you were saying about sitting outside on your deck, I would just leave the apartment and step outside onto St. Mark's Place and walk to Second Avenue and be like surrounded by people. And for some reason that felt better. And even I'll do it when I'm home alone in my apartment, hearing other people talk on podcasts makes, gives me almost like a little hit of that. Mm -hmm. Like hearing smart people like talk about other things will get me out of the, whatever thing I was spiraling about a little bit easier than me trying to get out of it. It can kind of just, you can fall into it instead of trying so hard. Something that I I think a lot about is like, yes, they are. And we, being part of nature, we have a responsibility to care for 
other beings and other species in nature in the same way that we care about like a person. I think a lot about language when when we talk about this space because language is how we understand the relationships between things and and how we communicate. And what's so interesting is like through language, we have put ourselves at the center Mm. of everything and kind of like the natural worlds around us, right? but separate from us. You know, it's like um, the definition of nature in the dictionary is something like, you know, it's all of these things, but then it's as opposed to humans. So in like the very definition of nature, we have put ourselves as separate. And I think what I like that you mentioned as saying like how nature has supported you is through your connection to humans is the reason why I like that answer is because it is a reminder that we are just one part of all of these other species. And the whole idea that we are like somehow, you know, more important is completely made up by us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like there's no, like there's no actual like. And has caused a lot of problems to be honest. Yes. And you know, one of my favorite, I say this all the time. If you're in our nature listener, you'll be like, okay, she said this so many times. I feel bad for everyone here. But um, one of my favorite teachers and someone who I really have learned from is um, Robin Wall Kimmerer. And she has this wonderful book called Braiding Sweetgrass. And in Braiding Sweetgrass, she says like, in the indigenous worldview, humans are the lesser species because, you know, she thinks about like, what is the gift, you know, that all of these species bring? And she says, like, one, we are the um, the youngest. So we give reverence to our elders, mm. the plants. And plants can give life to other beings. So plants produce oxygen to sustain the life of us. What do we, you know, we can't give life to other beings, And so she says, like, what is the gift of the human race? And and the gift of humans is the gift of, like, language and storytelling. And so how do we use that, though, as a gift, you know, rather than as a way to, like, kind of damage all of the other species around us? But just to say, like, what's so cool is that as you reconnect or relate to the earth and to nature in a deeper way, that felt sense of you being one just one species and being among so many, you can like feel that inherently inside of you. And things like even killing a bug or it actually feels like you're like killing a part of yourself, as weird as that sounds. But it, it becomes, you really can feel that, you know, that interconnectedness of of you amongst the the world of beings, which is pretty powerful. This whole, uh, you're incredible. <laughs> this whole episode is really hitting me hard. That uh, braiding the sweet grass, I'd never yeah. heard that before. Braiding sweet grass, yeah. And how it's storytelling. We have the gift of language. So like, that's why she also talks about how like, when you call something like a plant an it, or when you call the moon an it, you're depriving that of its like personhood. Who's to say that you get to be a she, him, or they, Mm -hmm. but that's an it. But it's, it's not. 
It's just our language has created that. And you know what that does? That allows us to exploit. Because when you call something an it, you can exploit it. But if you call something a her or a she or a them, it's a kinship. You're part, it's a relationship. It allows for us. It allows for the word yes, us to be used. Of where course. if there's an it, it cuts that off and creates separateness. Yeah. And it allows for just as I call you she, I call the 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 moon she. It's it's just you're you're a different being than the moon. Or, you know, I mean the moon is space, so it's like <laughs> but but the plant over there. Right. Wow. Well, I did contact our research team during your response to pull up the definition of nature. Oh, amazing. Because I haven't actually heard that, but I, I want to read it out loud. And according to Webster, nature, noun, the material world, especially as surrounding humankind. Oh, yeah. There's another definition if you go, I think it's like maybe in the Oxford English Dictionary, if you look that up. Okay. Read that one. Let me contact yeah. research. <laughs> you have an episode recently. We have we have a bit of nature here. Everyone. Yeah, we have We're a little doggy. You know. So if you hear, um, <laughs> that's great though. Blue, um, previous podcast guest himself and his mom is here with us. Something I heard today, I think, relates to what you were saying about connecting with nature and the importance of ancestors and how thinking about the people who came before us will help us connect to future generations as it relates to the environment. Can you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was listening to, maybe it was another podcast. I don't remember which one it was. I wish I could credit it. But they said that the way like a lot of indigenous communities make decisions is in the present is to consider seven generations after them, mm. which is so beautiful to me because that is the truth. Like the decisions we make now will impact people we will never ever meet. And like there's this amazing conversation that Oprah had with Maya Angelou about this idea of like who paid for you, meaning like the people who you will never know who came before you have paid for your life to be what it is now. And that idea of like, who are you going to pay for going forward? And it, it's like this beautiful concept. I think in, in so many ways, it's like if we could really take that like long view and not just focus on like, you know, well, it doesn't matter because I won't be around. It's like, yeah, but someone will. And if if the ancestors before you had had that same idea, you know, you would be, it would impact your life, and 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 it has. So, yeah. I think this idea of like not only humans, not only thinking about humans, but like what species are going to be affected seven generations after us? Because something, you know, that is a little bit dark that I do think about is like the human race may go extinct. It probably will, but the earth might still be around and will probably recover. And so it's like, who are you thinking about going forward? 
And how can we have that mindset? I think we'd all be better off um, if we had that perspective. Yeah, that's that's dark, but... (laughs) Yeah, just bringing it (laughs) to that sad place at the end. No. Well, I have that definition for you. Let's see what it's got us. Research is just getting their um, information to me. Research, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate having a full team here. Okay. The phenomenon of the physical world collectively, including plants, animals, the landscape, and other features and products of the earth as opposed to human beings or human creations. Mm -hmm. So interesting, right? Yeah. And definitions come from like known collective ideas. Do you know what I mean? So it's like what a representation of the messages that we as a species have been fed or are feeding each other. So it's just language. I mean, yeah. but it's powerful. Right, right, right. I want to talk a little bit about something else that's powerful, like language and visuals. And I think you're someone who has such a strong aesthetic and great taste, which I really admire. Has that always been with you? Is this something that you've developed? And you're such an individual. What how do you keep that? Like, where do you draw specific inspiration and how do you stay fresh as a strategist, as a person, but also remain in the collective, but individually as yourself? Mm -hmm. I'm really like flattered you asked that question actually, because I would say inside, I don't know I think it's something I'm still working on, if I'm being totally honest, like, which is also really interesting in the ways that I often feel like other people will see like almost the best versions of ourselves sometimes before we can see them for us. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's something that's been reflected back to me quite a bit of like being a really creative person, having like a very strong, like, individual visual aesthetic but inside it's like I'm still working to fully embody it for myself and own it in a way where I feel like really comfortable and empowered um so it's hard for me to actually answer that question because it's something that I think I'm still working through getting comfortable with that said I do think It has been something like since I was a kid, I've always kind of like everyone zigged that way and I was kind of zagging the other way. And I'm not sure exactly where that came from. But I do remember when I was a senior in high school, someone came up to me and was like, I just want to let you know that I voted you most unique in the superlatives. And I was like absolutely shocked because in my mind, I was just trying to like blend in. And it's how I feel still. I'm like, I'm trying to be like samesies with everyone and trying to like fly under the radar or blend in or I'm like still feeling really unsure about like my expression. But then to other people, it feels so strong. And I think... That is like a really interesting dynamic that I'm working with. And it's something that like 
you know, we're talking, you know, you mentioned like things that you're really working on. This is something like I'm actively working on because I actually feel like there's an even weirder (laughs) self inside of me that's like ready to come out. I just am like working on letting it be there, trying to let my freak flag fly basically even more. I can, I'm so excited (laughs) for that. I'm excited and scared. (laughs) What's going to happen? Let it out. Wow. That's really interesting that you, it's something that I so clearly see in you. That's fascinating. And, and I think it's beyond your style and how you present it's like in the projects that you do and and everything is very specific Mm -hmm. and I, I love it. I think it's, it's incredible with that. What's your greatest lesson on creativity? I think a lesson that I'm really working on is that it's about the process, not the results. Like success in a creative project is in the doing. Mm. It's not in like what it becomes or doesn't become. Like it's in the act. Creativity is in the act, basically. That's been like a thread through this long winding conversation. Mm -hmm. It's about throwing the party for the magazine, even if the magazine doesn't happen. It's just, yeah, it's about, it's about following your joy. I think that's another thread. It's about being present. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate way that joy comes is in presence and is in, and that's what creativity to me is. It's in the presence of the doing that provides like the greatest thrill of it all. Yeah. You talked about in this episode one of the episodes I listened to today about the importance of experimenting and not sharing. And also it's important to share sometimes too, like the, the duality of that. And yeah, I think we've been talking a lot on this show, kind of like you were saying about the braiding the sweet grass thing. I, I feel like this is something I've been a broken record about here, but I had this episode with Nadine Artemis a couple months ago and she talked about focus in this way that I really admired and I realized that all I want is focus. I think I want, and she said this quote where she was like, we think we want lives of distraction, but we really want focus. And when we can't get into that, we'll take distraction because it's Mm -hmm. so uncomfortable to be in the in-between. What I've been working on has been giving myself a lot of open space so I can focus. What we're really saying, I think when we're saying focus, what feels so good about it is that we're present. Presence, yeah. Oh, okay, well, someone who is so gentle, I want to talk about your partner, David, a little bit. I was listening to him today on your show and I was just like, oh, David, I got lost in the canyon once and he found me in a very magical way and helped me drive out. He's a really special person and his work is so cool and, and inspiring and, and we'll let him talk about that another time. But I actually love the story of how you met. I don't know. Is that private? No. Can you tell that here? Yeah. The way that we met really taught me about, again, like letting go of ego and identity and getting out of my own way because... For a while, I had this like very particular idea of who I would end up with. And like, it wasn't like super specific, but it was like super successful and looking like this and doing this type of job and maybe doing like being, you know, a working at a creative agency like me or whatever. I had this whole picture um, and, you know, (laughs) 
didn't wasn't successful in finding that and felt really like disillusioned by dating, which I think many people get to that point. And I was actually pretty depressed at the time. Um, so that idea that you need to be like magical and magnetic to find your person is, I say, is BS. You don't. You can be depressed and you can be like in your work. Yeah, take you know? a manic pixie dream girl yeah, and like I mean, everything we but grew up. I, I just don't think it's yeah, yeah. it's necessary. Like you can be in your own space. I mean, you need to be open to things, yeah. but whatever. I was kind of like no, in like a depressive moment. And I was, my auntie was like, leave, this is, this was during my low period. <laughs> and my auntie was like, why don't you come up to Maine and take a break from the city? And so I did. And I was, I created my own artist retreat. And basically I worked on these, like, did you ever make shrinky dinks when you were younger? I have no idea what you're It's like, <laughs> it's basically like this plastic materials probably highly toxic um and you would bake it and it would shrink down and harden oh and so you could make like pins and you could draw on it anyways it was like this thing i used to do when i was little i was thinking of those things you put in water that grew okay it's the opposite (laughs) Um, but i was making all this art with shrinky dinks just for myself. Like, I haven't shown it to anyone. I made one for my mom. I think it's really cool. I Maybe I'll to. have an art show someday yes. about Can it. Can I buy a piece? It's really, it's kind of interesting. It's about, like, the juxtaposition between, like, organic shapes and, like, man-made materials. Whoa, and shit, that's cool. Whatever. I would like to buy a piece. But I was, like, going through that, like, yeah. artist process for myself. And I was actually feeling really good. I'll say that. I was, like, in my flow and just feeling, like, really present with that. Um, and my aunt was like, you should leave New York City and move up to Maine. And I was like, I'm not doing that. But I was like, if I would do that, I'm a 30-year-old who wants to find a partner. So let me just go on Tinder and like see who's up here. You know, like if While I were going to. Yeah, if I, if I was going to do that. And so I did and I like swiped, you know, right on like two people. It was pretty bleak. Um, and then David uh, messaged me. He had a giant picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god please tell me I, in his profile it was like two photos one was like you couldn't even see who, what his face really it was like dark it looks like it was taken on like a flip phone uh-huh. the other one was just half of his face or something with like a giant sourdough loaf of course yeah. and so i was like That's i right. love bread yep. and so i swiped right so it was like it was like i did not know who this person really looked like i think it was just like whatever seems normal i love bread and then he messaged me seems normal i love bread That's, yeah. never mind that's the quote of the intro and then he messaged me and then I, i'll never forget it our first date um we met in town and <laughs> he, he had like white kind of beige pants on and they were like dirty, like <laughs> on the knees. And I remember like, of course, my identity being so New York. I was like so judgy of uh-huh. that. I thought, oh, this guy shows up to a date with dirty pants. And it was because he had been working in the garden. Like how wholesome, you know? Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So we met up there and... I mean, the other funny story about it that I can tell is on our third date, he called me and was like, hey, um, do you mind if I take a use your shower? And I was like, "Okay." And so he showed up and he was like, "Okay, I'm going to use your shower now. And I was staying at this hotel and I remember I was like, "Okay." 
And so I went outside on the porch and like called my mom and I was like, I'm going out on this date and like the guy's using my shower. And he, <laughs> what did your mom say? She was like, okay, have fun. And he comes out of the shower and I had some olive oil on the table and he's like, oh, can I have, can I use some of that? And I was like, okay. And he takes it and like dumps it in his hand and then like pats it all over his face. And he's like, <laughs> he's just smiling at me. And I was like, what is happening right now? And come to find out, you know, I was so New Yorker, you right. know, he but come really to find out he was it. building a house and he didn't have running water. I mean, the whole thing is like very funny to me now, but it was just such, it was almost like such a culture shock on both sides. But yeah, now we're together. <laughs> Someone should write <laughs> this short film it about was this. Hilarious. I mean, there were so many like funny little things where, I mean, on our first date, he's like, do you want to come work with me? on the house and I said no I was like I was so offended he would even ask but you know come to find out it's very like common in rural places to just be like hey come work on my homestead and yeah. you know he was he was building a house at the time but I was like I'm not working with you like I don't even know you <laughs> wow. but yeah he um long story short he you know I think on both sides I don't think he ever pictured being with someone like me but yeah. There was just something that we recognized in each other that we got like really curious and interested in. And I will say again, like I always tell my friends who are like searching for their partners just to be like open to having the person show up and maybe not looking like you thought. Because I had a moment where I was like, I don't know about this farmer guy and who lives in the middle of nowhere. But I'm so glad I chose him. Like every day I'm so glad. And it's just such a gift. And I'm I'm like, thank God, Alyssa, you didn't let your ego get in your way because you would have missed out on like the most wonderful relationship you have ever had. Totally. I mean, it clearly it changed your whole life. And I think for each other and knowing David and how special he is and seeing your life together and all you've created together, collaborating, who you each are separately, I think is really enhanced by you being together. And also I remember when I met you, it was very, very new. And the way you talked about it was, you were still in that like ego place, I think about it, because you did sort of talk about it as like, I don't boyfriend who, and, and I was like, the, I remember hearing all about the house cut to two years later, I'm sitting on the, your porch eating Divya's kitchen that David made and like falling in love with him and being mm -hmm. like, oh my God, you're incredible. I'm, I love this couple and this person. And I'm just so happy that that happens. And, you know, his work involves emotions and how when we don't want to feel something we don't want to feel, it moves into the subconscious and that can create physical problems and essentially mm -hmm. distraction. And you now work together on retreats and in so many different capacities. And something I, I often ask here is about romantic relationships. What's your greatest lesson mm -hmm. that you've learned from this one? Yeah. I would say the reason why, so we have a really, really healthy relationship. It's very easeful. We have conflict, but we resolve it well. Like we're really good at working with conflict with each other. 
And I would say the main, I mean, two main things is one, we each take responsibility for ourselves and our growth individually. Like, and, you know, we take it really seriously and we own it. So whenever we're having a disagreement, each of us in the moment is reflecting upon, am I showing up? Like, how can I be showing up better? We're not just like pushing it onto someone else and saying like, it's your fault. We're saying like, this is what I own. This is what I'm asking for. And we each do that. And I think it's really hard because you can't do that for another person. Yeah. So it's like you have to find another person who's willing to also take responsibility for themselves too. And I think that is really hard to find. And so it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not just like, I, I think it's required. Um, and then the other thing is we communicate with like very, very, um, we communicate very openly and very honestly. Communicate hard things to each other. Mm-hmm. Things that like, it's scary to say to the other person. Like, this bothers me and I'm not okay with this. Or like, when you did this, it made me feel like this, but just like, so it's almost like we're Imago. Do you do that technique? Maybe that's what we're doing. It sounds like it. Yeah. But it's, it's like so radically honest, Yeah. but I feel like it's always with the intent of like, we know that it is not never our intention to hurt the other person. Yeah. And I think just like knowing that creates so much safety and it allows us to be really brave with our communication. Yeah. It's something that I think ties into the inner stability. Mm -hmm. If you have relationship stability, it's a lot easier to have those tough conversations because you feel safe. Mm -hmm. And that's something that in, in a particular relationship that ended someone pointed out to me, like you have to have trust in the relationship or it makes it so no one can be honest or real. And that's, that was like a really hard lesson for me to learn. And I hopefully learned it, but every relationship's different with the first bit that you said about taking responsibility. Is that something that you were like, you, it's hard to find, but is it, do you think it's something that can be taught or learned yeah but i think the person has to be willing to yeah you know it's like it's like anything you i learned this the hard way through many i mean i did not have a track record for like amazing relationship after amazing relationship um so this is a big deal for me to be in such a good one and i think we I think we were at that point, but I think we also like taught each other. But I do think it's like anything like you can't change a person. They have to want to change for themselves. And David will always say this. And I think it's okay for me to share because he said it, you know, in, in a few ways. I think he said it publicly, maybe on my podcast, but like up until about two weeks before we met, he said he wouldn't have been ready for a relationship. And he means it because he was not ready to do the work. And it's like, it's hard to hear that because he's like such a good partner. And I'm like, I don't get, I don't get it. It's hard for me to fathom you kind of being not 
able to show up in the way that you do. Yeah. But I actually believe it because I think about the me even a year before we met. I don't know if I was ready for this type of relationship. And that's why, like, you know, I personally, if I hadn't met him, I think I would have been okay with, like, being single and, like, really working on myself because I do believe when you get to that point and you work on yourself and you kind of, like, kind of take your responsibility for yourself and how you show up, it is a lot easier to attract a partner who also does because it's, like, it creates an energetic match. You know what I mean? So it's, like, we both, like, we're kind of, like, doing the hard work on our own and like leveling up and, and yeah. kind of like going through leaning into our discomfort. And then we were able to find each other and like recognize that. And I think that that is really, it's like a gift. And I think it's, it's not easy to, it's not easy. Yeah. And we still do. I mean, we work on our relationship every day because we work on ourselves. <laughs> I have about 10,000 more questions, but you know what? We're, it's been <laughs> about a million years. So let's let's do a couple of rapid fire. Sure. And you'll come back. More, and Katie will be on my podcast. More um, non-recorded conversations, preferably, and uh, friendship forever. <laughs> okay. Is there a piece of advice that's helped you recently or something that someone said that stuck with you? Can it be easy? And I think if you contemplate that, it has changed my life in many, many ways. So that question, I I have this question in my book that's what would it feel like if it were easy? Mm -hmm. And that's something that every day in my morning pages I write about because it's not even a writing prompt for me anymore. It's like, I remember being like in the back of a cab stressed about something. And I asked myself that it's like a way to get Mm -hmm. yourself out of your shit. Mm -hmm. It's that's so good. I love that. What about productivity? How do you spend your day? Is there anything that's been useful to you and that clearly I don't do it well. <laughs> I, I'm working on this as well. Um, I have ADHD. I think I was guided down this path of presence and embodiment and, and sensory felt connection to the natural world because it helps me a lot with my ADHD tendencies. And so I would say that, you know, in terms of productivity for me, the key is presence. It's so amazing how much of your life you can enjoy if you're present with it. I've like had really radical periods of my life where I've been like super present with like, I mean, I'm really present now with you. What an enjoyable experience. Like what a gift. And so I think that to me is like an amazing productivity hack because if you're present with your experience, you're really in the doing. Yeah. And it like, it's so gratifying. So that's so funny that you said a a productivity hack, because I always say about creativity, the biggest creativity hack is presence. I think it's the hack for everything. It's the only thing. And here to jigs up, (laughs) there are no hacks. (laughs) That's the real thing. But if there were, it would be just the one. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be just being in your life. 
we've talked a lot about nature and we've talked a lot about human beings and connection and presence, but what about anything other than that? Like what's your connection to spirituality, God? What do you think happens when we die? Mm. Oh, that's just, you know, yeah, just a rapid last, fire, yeah, just real quick, simple, <laughs> you know, fit it in there. Um, I think God, I find God in nature. Um, I find spirituality in nature. <laughs> um, I think when we die, we are reborn. I think our energy becomes something different. And um, I also think it's a natural process. And so my process of relating to it is just surrendering and like allowing it to be what it needs to be. Mm. Oh, that was really nice. I love you. I love this. I love this conversation so much. I hope we have many, many more. Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? The name of this is Let It Out. Is there anything you want to recommend? It can be a, you know, a, a book, a song, a movie, a place, a idea, concept. Hmm. I think it would be an invitation, like a, a practice. And I think it would be to go outside and get curious. Like, have you ever just sat and observed squirrels? Like truly watch them and their behavior for 20 minutes. Or maybe you want to, you know, in my neighborhood, there are a ton of lizards. Do you know what kind of lizard they are? What do they eat? How do they reproduce? Just begin to get curious about the world around you and like so much will open up. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the homework and amazing everyone listening should do it and then let's talk about it yeah yeah and I just want to say I did want to say that I will be um I'm getting my forest therapy certification what does that mean so forest therapy it it basically is about connecting people to the natural world and the wholeness of nature, including themselves. And it's, it has a structure to it. You go on a forest therapy walk and it's about three hours long and you do a series of like invitations and practices and um, yeah. So I'll be hopefully guiding some walks and maybe that could be part of our event. Yeah, I, want, um, I mean, I want to do it. Mm -hmm. Sign me up. Yeah. So that's, that's a way. Can um, I just say one oh, other yeah, thing course, too? Please. I wanted to, I did want to actually share some gratitude for you mm. because as a podcaster, I do know what it takes to show up for these conversations. And I just so appreciate how you do your homework and you prepare and you really like learn about the person. And I know it's like, oh, of course you should, but not a lot of people do as extensively as you do and it shows and I really appreciate it and it was just such a pleasure to have this type of conversation and you asked such thoughtful questions and I just like really appreciated being able to have this conversation and be on your show and I've been a fan of let it out so it's it's like a really exciting thing for me to be part of it so thank you so much that means so much more than you know and it's easy to, to do because 
I had so much fun spending time with you today and you were also my friend. So I, I feel like I was cheating a little bit with, with some of this research it was years in the making, but it was so <laughs> fun to spend time with our nature. And I'm so happy that your podcast exists and it's been really cool to watch it from day one and talk to you about it and see how it's grown and then expanded. And I'm just so, that makes me so happy and I know this medium has given me so much and I was really encouraging for you to do it because of that. And I'm so happy that that you found that as well. And whatever happens Thank next you. with it, I'm really excited about. Thank you. I love you. Thank you I for being I love you too. Here. Thank you for having me. We should do another deep breath to yeah. end this. Okay. Okay. Inhale. Love out. <sighs> All right, that was my talk with my dear friend, Alyssa Benjamin. Obviously now you know how incredible she is and I'm sure you probably already knew that. If you're new to Alyssa, follow Our Nature and go listen to Our Nature immediately. We're also gonna do an event together and I will be a guest on that show. So if you wanna hear the two of us talking more, that is coming up really soon. And check out her website and everything she does. She's truly one of the most creative individuals I've ever met. And I'm so grateful that she's my friend and we get to live in the same city again. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. It really helps so much and supporting the sponsors is always so helpful. And, you know, if you're still here at the bitter end of that long, long conversation, maybe you do like it and you would want to leave a review on iTunes or rating on Spotify. I, you know, it really helps so much. And I would love to keep doing this for 400 more, maybe. Who knows? Truly grateful and happy to be here. And I am so excited for some of the future conversations I have lined up and already recorded. And let me know who you want to hear. Maybe you want to connect me with someone who you want me to interview or you think that would make a good guest for the show i would love to hear we have a survey where you can you know suggest a guest that we've had forever and if you would like to connect with me and the show you can do so in many ways we have a let it out letter which is my newsletter where i send out the show notes as well as you know an essay from me or a few musings and of course you know this podcast has its own instagram let it out with three t's I love you so much. I'm so grateful. Here's to 400 more. I was going to do a whole thing with clips and make a whole clip show like I did for the 300th episode, but you know what? It's not the way the cookie crumbled. So who knows? Maybe we'll do that eventually. But I also want to say thank you so, so, so much to Mike, who has been our editor since 2016 on this show. And he is leaving and he's incredible. And this is his last episode, which is really fitting. So thank you, Mike. You made this show possible and I'm going to cry if I keep talking about it more. So I'm going to go. But truly, it has meant so much to me to work with you and this episode and all of the last ones that you've worked on are dedicated to you. And this show wouldn't have been possible without you. So I am incredibly grateful and I'm incredibly grateful to you listening. The show's not possible without you either. Okay, here's to many more <laughs>
I I feel like we should bring together the events that we were always talking about and journaling, do something where we all do this and exp- as we're doing it, because I feel like there's like a real connection with journaling there that of could course. be really interesting. And yeah, 